Hey, tennis fans, you're listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We are also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre for our fifth episode of 2023. Australian Open behind us, but the season, Mike, continues. And I must say, we've got a pretty great guest for this week. Yeah, we get to welcome back none other than Canadian Bianca Andrescu to the podcast, to Matchpoint Canada. Friend of Matchpoint Canada, and mm-hmm. uh, we've had her on more times than I can count uh, at this point. But uh, definitely at least good for once a year, if not a couple times a year, to check in with us. And and what better time at the start of the season, especially given how a year ago things were very different for Bianca, who by her own admission needed time away from the sport. This year, it's great to see her back on court, starting with the Aussie Open, now playing in Thailand, where we got to speak with her mid-tournament. And uh, just a very upbeat, positive Bianca is what I took away from our chat. Yeah, I think uh, just refreshed and recharged for for a brand new season. And, you know, she would probably tell you since that return from the mental health break, kind of a brand new outlook as well on tennis and and her career. Uh, I love her positive frame of mind, even the way she competed in Thailand. And we'll get to that after the interview. Uh, I like her positive mind frame on court and just the way she's playing competing uh we saw her at the australian open and these are this is a brand new schedule for her in the sense of she did not play uh this block of the schedule in 2022 and this was her first time actually in in thailand as well so it was great to catch up with her as she's exploring a new country in a new area of of the world and so we touched on all the things that i'm sure you're going to want to listen to in terms of just how heavy a schedule is she planning on playing in the first few months of the year um how does she feel being back on court and and with a brand new team, including coach, trainer, and physiotherapist. So she opens up about that as well. Uh, And also just the human side of things and how much she's enjoying being in Thailand and enjoying some of the, you know, half responsibilities of being the number one seed. But but half of it is she's the type of player that that genuinely, I feel like, enjoys doing those things as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Without further ado, here is our conversation with 2019 U.S. Open champion Bianca Andreescu. And now we're very happy to welcome back one of our longstanding guests on Matchpoint Canada, one of the originals, you could say, uh, Bianca Andrescu. Thank you for joining us all the way from Thailand today. Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, last year, uh, you were you were very open at the start of the season uh, in terms of sharing your reasons for, for delaying your return to action and focusing on mental health, uh, which I think was so great for so many people, both professional athletes and just regulars like me and Ben as well, to hear that coming from someone like you. This year, you're back. You started at the Aussie Open, now in Thailand. Um, What a wonderful opportunity this must be. Are you just looking at this as a a great chance to sort of accumulate those ranking points and, uh, and, and you know, hit the ground running this year? Yeah, definitely. I want to play as many matches as I can be as healthy as I can and um, work really well with my team. So far, so good. I'm very grateful for that. It's definitely helping me mentally, having great people in your corner and just feeling good physically. And so far, it's been really great. So hopefully I can continue like this. That's great. And we do want to ask about your team, but uh, I first want to ask about Thailand because you've definitely been taking in the sights and sounds. It's a place I'd love to visit at some point. What are your impressions of the country? What was that cooking class like that I saw you uh, partake in as well? (laughs) 
Yeah, that was really fun because I like cooking when I get the chance. I don't always get the chance, but doing something like that was really nice and very authentic. I mean, the food here is incredible. Um, the people are very nice. The sights are incredible. I went to a temple yesterday and there were monkeys everywhere. Oh, there were, um, yeah, they were just walking like near us and there were people feeding the monkeys. It was crazy scenes. I'm definitely going to post more about that. Um, and I went to basically all the markets here, um, ate some really good food, have to be careful for my diet, but I've been pretty good <laughs> with it. After the tournament, I'm really going to go all out to really experience the full uh, authenticity of Thailand. It's a it's a fantastic country. My wife and I went there the year after we got married back in 2012. And uh, I remember coming That's back after, after three weeks in Thailand, like we were there for a while. We get back to Canada and all the food here tasted so bland after the, you know, the flavors and everything that I they know. have over there. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're yeah. on a rigid schedule yeah. because of the next tournament after this, but definitely a place I would recommend fully exploring. Um, as the number one seed at the tournament there, you've got a balance, obviously, of, of lots of press obligations um, as being one of the, the faces of the tournament. How do you balance the fact that you've got to focus for all these matches with also going through these these press uh, obligations, which do look super fun, but how do you balance that um, those two sides? I mean, for me, I don't really mind doing things like that um, because I know it's very good for the WTA. It's very good for my image and just connecting with supporters and fans. Um, and I mean, cooking classes are kind of like the easy easier fun ones hopefully I can get more of those in the future um but I mean talking to you guys is always nice because you're always easy to talk to um but no I mean it's it's part of the it's part of the job so I'm uh I kind of found a good balance that's definitely important and uh it looks like you uh, as you mentioned off the top um connecting with your new team uh your new coach Chris uh Christoph Lambert you guys have a relationship uh dating years back what's it been like having him in your corner so far and maybe if you could give us a couple names on a couple of the other members who are part of your team as well yeah definitely um Christoph is great he knows me inside and out and he's been watching me over the years, so he knows what I need to improve on. And um, he's just super happy all the time, very positive. We're always laughing. Uh, and the connection is there. I think that also helps. I mean, being with him for, I guess, two, I think it was two years or two and a half years when I was 15, uh, 14, 15. I think that really helped. Um, and then, yeah, Jean-Pierre and Baptiste. Jean-Pierre is um, my physiotherapist and Baptiste is my fitness trainer. He hasn't been traveling with me yet uh, to tournaments, but he will in Abu Dhabi. Um, so you guys will see him there. But everyone has known each other for 20 plus years, apparently, which I didn't even know until I started working with all of them together. Um, so, I mean, you can expect the communication is great. Um, the honesty is there. And yeah. Everything's just really good. Perfect. I, I would imagine the process of assembling a new team is is different for every player. Uh, I mean, Ben and I are like a team of two, so we're always together. And there's there's no possibility for change here. Ben and I are stuck with each other for the, <laughs> for the long haul. But for you, um, like like when people hear that, oh, Bianca's looking for, whether it be a new coach or a new physio, do you get like 
bombarded with resumes or applications or text messages from people who were interested or 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 did everyone sort of come together because they knew one another already i'm just curious about how that process plays out yeah i think it was kind of like a out of the blue kind of thing um because there were lots of coaches that did want to work with me and physiotherapists as well and fitness trainers so um, they all kind of came together at a really good time. Um, and I was already thinking about Jean-Pierre and Christophe in the back of my head a few days before that. And then all of a oh. sudden there was a text, there was a call. Um, and yeah, it, it just kind of happened like that. Uh, and it obviously helps that they've, um, they've known each other for a really long time, including Baptiste. So I was like, why not? Let's do it. And it's been going really good. No, that's that's really cool. Um, one thing that's been really cool that uh, I've watched the entire thing. I think Mike has now gotten through it as well. Uh, is the new Netflix show Breakpoint? Um, I think it's obviously a great promotion of our sport, not just for hardcore tennis fans um, like myself, but the casual fan as well. Have you watched the show? And if so, what are your what are your thoughts? Yeah, I watched it all uh, in basically one sitting when I was yeah. in uh, Australian Open. Uh, it was really good. I didn't really understand the backlash that it got. I thought it was incredible, even you know, even though I'm on tour. Uh, some people were saying, "Yeah, if you're like a crazy tennis fan or you're on tour, it's not that it's not that good. It's kind of like slow and boring." But I thought the total opposite. I think it gives great insight on what's going on on tour. Um, a lot of the team members also gave interviews. So I thought that was great. I mean, you could see the hardships, you can see the joys, um, and watching it made me very emotional as well. Cause I mean, I've been in some of those people's shoes. Um, so I guess maybe for me, since I am on tour is like relatable thing. I know maybe, I mean, you can obviously kind of relate as well, but for me, since I'm I'm on tour, it's a bit easier, I would say. Uh, so maybe that's another reason why I really liked it. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully they can do a season two, and maybe I can be on it. Well, I that leads to. that leads into my next question, which was if there <laughs> is a future season, is that something that you would enjoy being a part of? Because for some tennis players, although all of you are used to the limelight, the spotlight, dealing with media and interviews, not everyone wants the cameras coming into their personal space as well. So. How would you feel about that? Yeah, so I actually got offered to be in the first season, but I turned it down because, first of all, I was going through a really hard time, and I just really wanted to focus on my tennis. Um, and one thing was I didn't want kind of cameras to be around me all the time. Uh, but then I spoke to some of the players, and they told me that it wasn't bombarding whatsoever. They were very respectful um, and... Yeah. So if they ask me to do it again, I definitely won't back down. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, last couple questions for you. Um, just getting an idea. I, I know you said you want to play a lot this year because you're you're feeling strong and healthy. What's maybe your upcoming schedule the next couple months where, where you're hoping to play? So I will be playing in the very first Mubadala Abu Dhabi Open. I'm excited for that. I love Abu Dhabi. I've been there once 
only for a few hours. So if I'm there for a few more days extra, then I can explore even more. So I'm excited for that. Um, and then Doha, Dubai, a little break, Indian Wells, Miami. Um, and then clay, clay, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. Just after that. Yep. So I'm, Perfect. I'm ready for it. Yeah. Long time away from home, long time away from Coco, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But my parents will be coming to Indian Wells, which is nice. The restrictions there for the dog aren't as bad as the Middle East <laughs> and Australia. Right. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Well, hey, look, Bianca, all the best with the first part of the season. Uh, ben and I were so stoked to hear that it worked out to speak with you during your uh, stay in Thailand. So we wish you all the best and uh, look forward to catching up later this year. Thank you. It was nice chatting with you. There you have it. Our interview with Bianca Andrescu, who, as always with us, was in a great, upbeat, positive mood. It was cool to get new insights on her coaching team and obviously having a prior relationship with Christoph Lambert, who joins her team, plus a new fitness trainer, physio. And, and I think it's it's a mold that's going to work well for her. It seems like it's paying early dividends. If we talk a little bit about Thailand, uh, where I know she was the number one seed, maybe the expectation was quite high, but reaching the semifinals and, and playing some good tennis, honestly. Yeah, and you know, sometimes when I see a player go back to a coach or a team they've had before, I kind of question it. It makes me raise an eyebrow because why would you go back if it's something you've already tried before? But in Bianca's case, she worked with Lambert like a long time ago. This is back mm -hmm. when she was much younger. And as you're still a junior and, and whatnot, it's pretty normal. We see young players often change teams quite uh, regularly. Look at Emma Raducanu, for example, and how many coaching changes she's had in a short amount of time. So I've got no problem at all with Bianca deciding, hey, I think this group of people, this team that I know well, would fit in nicely for where I'm at at this point of my career and a time where, yeah, she wants to have the laughs and have some fun with the people she's surrounded by and said to us that this is a group that I can do that with while also working hard to develop and, and fine tune her game. Yeah, that's that's well said. I was very interested to hear that she was one of the names actually approached about the Breakpoint series for Netflix. And I had actually had that thought before it was coming out. Bianca Andrescu, like such a dynamic personality on and off the court, would be someone that they would potentially want to profile for this show. So it was very interesting that she was actually approached about season one, said, you know, maybe now in my current uh, frame of mind. I don't really want a lot of cameras around me, but but I guess it's it's cool to hear from her that she spoke with other players and they described it as very low stress. At times, you hardly even notice them, which was really interesting. And sounds like she would certainly consider it in the future if this series continues. Yeah, look, if there's no Canadians on Breakpoint season two, forget it. I'm not watching it. Okay, you got to have a Canadian presence on there, especially with um, you know the way that they've been playing the last couple of years. I mean, they're among the youngest fittest, most exciting players on both the men's and women's tour between Bianca, Layla, Dennis, and Felix. And it was great to see Felix featured on episode five of the first part of this first season of Breakpoint. Be great to see either Layla, Annie, or Bianca, one of our female players in season two, if, if that's a go. And, and, you know, look, we've been talking to Bianca for, for such a long time. She's an interesting person. Like, she's deep. Mm -hmm. She's got a lot to her. She's interested in a lot off the court as well. Uh, and I still think, like I saw someone tweet out the other day, if Bianca Andreescu was a stock, would you buy or sell right now? And I think absolutely, this is the time to buy. She's ranked in the 40s, but capable of so much more. If she can stay healthy and hopefully the, the shoulder 
um, you know, uh, injury that she sustained in that semifinal in Thailand was not something that's going to hinder her uh, because I think if healthy, that this is a player that can still do a lot of damage and just look out once that confidence really starts clicking again. We've seen what, what she's capable of when she gets on a roll. Yeah, and look, let's just discuss uh, her performance at the Thailand Open, where she did pick up a few wins, getting to the semifinals before falling uh, to veteran 33-year-old Lysia Sarenko of the Ukraine, uh, falling 7-5 for love and then pulling the plug uh, with a, a right shoulder injury that was bothering her, but not to the degree where she's pulling out of Abu Dhabi. As of now, she still plans to play the Abu Dhabi Open, which is already underway with qualifying. So that, that to me is a good sign. I don't think this is a serious injury. I thought she had a couple great wins at this tournament, particularly the first set and a half, the tennis she was playing against Marta Kostiak, another very talented young player in that quarterfinal. I mean, she raced ahead six love five, one was absolutely dominating from the back of the court, uh, from the forecourt at net as well, uh, being aggressive on serve and on return. She looked phenomenal uh, for the first stretch of that tennis. Kostiak, to her credit, really battled back in that second set to bring it uh, to a tie break. She raised her level, but Bianca closing that in straight sets, nice win over Harriet Dard and Zakharova in straight sets as well. So for me, this was a positive tournament. I saw that tweet. I was honestly shocked that some some people were replying, I'm going to sell. I mean, this is a former U.S. Open champion who's still 22 years old and arriving to big tournaments. I mean, she was number one seed here, but she's currently like unseated at slams or WTA 1000s right now. All the talent in the world. Lysia Serenko, after her victory, uh, said Bianca is an incredible talent, has all the tools to be a star. Yeah, I see nothing but positives for for Bianca moving forward. And I like the fact that she's looking to play a pretty aggressive schedule, um, saying that she was going to, um, uh, what were the tournaments she said? So Abu Dhabi and then Doha, yep. Dubai. Yep. Um, gosh, is that then leading into, I mean, I think Indiana, that's those Miami. three and then, and then clay season. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry. Season. And then, yes, pardon me, sunshine double and then clay, which is a lot. Right. So, yeah, this is fantastic for her. She's got nothing to lose. Nothing but positive can come from playing these events. And in Abu Dhabi, she's going to start playing a qualifier. Uh, wouldn't that be something if that qualifier ended up being a fellow Canadian like Rebecca Marino or Leila Annie Fernandez? We we don't want to see that, but uh, at least if that does happen, you know one Canadian's moving forward. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very high on what Bianca can accomplish uh, overall in 2023. I think she's got a great mindset. And um, yeah, it was it was really nice once again of her to take the time for us. Uh, she mentioned specifically in the in- interview that it doesn't feel like a press obligation speaking with us, which is always kind of nice to hear that from players. And uh, and I believe that to be genuine as well, you know, based on the rapport that we've built up with her over the years. Yeah, it's great that we have a, a strong working relationship with her, and she's always very generous with her time, and always is great with the media. Frankly, overall, uh, any event she goes to, I should mention at Huahuan at the tile. Thailand Open. Julin uh, captured the first title of her career. She beat the veteran Serenko in the final, and Julin make, made a lot of noise actually at the Australian Open just the other week. A run to the round of 16, pushing Victoria Azarenka to three sets before losing there. She had a big upset over Maria Sakkari, so she's playing really, really good tennis, a name to watch for. I remember when we spoke about her on our Aussie Open preview episode, we saw she was lining up against Rebecca Marino, and I believe at the time she was ranked a little bit low and we thought I think we said this hey what a great opportunity for Marino you're not going to get a better opening round match at a slam than someone who's ranked even a little bit lower than you when you're ranked towards the the you know 70th 80th in the world 
Um, but look at what she's done since then in knocking off some big players, pushing Azarenka, and now her run in Thailand as well, where she, uh, as you mentioned, won the singles title, fell in the doubles finals. So she's playing some fantastic ball right now. And uh, just goes to show you, just because something looks good in a draw, you never know, especially early in the season, when what kind of gains, what kind of off-court workouts and preparations, maybe new coaches mm-hmm. and teams, uh, you just never quite know what to expect from people at the start of a calendar year, given how much work they've maybe been putting in uh, behind the scenes. Yeah, that's a good point. She's she's 29 years old and now seems to be hitting the, the peak stride of her career because she's now rising to a new career high ranking of 41. I should say Bianca with her result reaching the semifinals she's jumping up five spots officially to number 37 so it's nice to see her back inside the top 40 of the rankings another name and i remember we mentioned her with blair henley actually at the front end of our season preview sort of names to watch american alicia parks was one that came to mind and her seizing her first career wta title in Lyon, uh, defeating top five player caroline garcia in the final seven six seven five she is a phenomenal talent massive serve she moves so athletically on the court she's now rising to 51st in the world and looks like another very dangerous young american who could compete for big titles in the months to come i would imagine yeah she's one that's been on our radar for quite some time and someone who finished last year with uh, back-to-back WTA uh, 125 uh, either titles or finals I think both titles actually yeah Um, and and someone that you just that's a stock that we're buying on for sure and she's Mm -hmm. got super confidence she really really believes in herself deep down Uh, she's got a heck of a serve one of the hardest serves already in the women's game at the age of 22 and uh, I think the USA who already have a bunch of fantastic female tennis players in the top 100 well here's another one who I think is just going to uh, really make her mark this year and and taking that title over Caroline Garcia Garcia who would have been playing in front of her home fans in France um, to me that really speaks volumes that she was able to uh, do it under that kind of circumstance and and setting yeah. Uh, and we should say another big tournament ahead, which is already underway. We've mentioned in qualifying Mubadala Abu Dhabi WTA 500 tournament has started. It's pretty wild to see Layla Annie Fernandez have to play in qualifying. Pretty unusual for her at this stage. Rebecca Marino as well. I mean, maybe that's a little bit less unusual, uh, but both players getting wins in qualifying to start and hopefully hopefully we'll see them in the main draw, which is a pretty heavy field. We don't have world number one Iga Sviantek, but Daria Kasokina, Belinda Bencic, your top seeds, uh, the recent Australian Open finalist and Wimbledon champion Elena Rybakina is the third seed. Paula Bedosa, after missing the Australian Open, she'll be in action along with Annette Contivate. And there are a couple big matchups like early in this tournament. I, we've we've said it so many times, maybe I'm being a broken record, but this is what we love about women's tennis. You get these early round epic clashes like Karolina Pliskova against two-time slam winner Garbina Muguruza, first round match. Danielle Collins against Yelena Ostapenko, first round match, which is pretty, pretty exciting. I really have enjoyed the uh, strength of the draws over the years in the Middle East between uh, matches in Qatar, matches in uh, the United Arab Emirates. Uh, It was years and years ago I covered an event in Dubai, the women's event in Dubai, which had Serena and Venus that year. And that was what convinced me to go. I'm like, oh, my God, I got to do this. And I had a good buddy of mine I stayed with over there, too. Haven't been back since, but 
it's become a hotbed of tennis and the fans there absolutely love it. And uh, you see these draws that are obviously smaller than a slam or a 1000. You get these fantastic matchups right off the bat. So you're getting more than your money's worth if you're there live. It's a place I'd love to go back to. And uh, hopefully our Canadians can can put on a good show. And uh, and that Bianca can continue to uh, to make gains as she uh, you know continues to put herself back up to where I think she belongs, which is in the top 20 of the women's sport. Yeah, and I, I feel the same way about Layla Fernandez, who's just inside the top 40 right now at number 39. Rebecca Marino as well. Just a quick turnaround getting back on the court. Her first tournament since the Australian Open. As we said, she lost that match to Julin. She's just inside the top 75 right now in the rankings. My hope is Marino and Layla both qualifying and land in different portions of the draw compared to Bianca Andrescu. But it is a very strong uh, WTA 500 field. Should we shift over to the men's side? Yeah, let's look Dallas Open, where we've got uh, Denis Shapovalov competing in a draw that I think is is ripe for him to to have a very successful tournament. Um, he's in the top half along with Taylor Fritz. Um, they could meet up in the semifinals, in which case Dennis does own a pretty favorable five to two head to head advantage, including a win last year in twenty twenty two. But I think, yeah, good for Dennis. Get down there and, and play a smaller event. Uh, get that mojo going. And it'd be really nice to see him get on a run this year. Something uh, sustained. Um, and look, uh, the way he started the year going down in five sets to Hubert Hurkacz at the Australian Open. No shame in that. So hopefully he can take some some confidence from pushing a top 10 guy and, and carry that forward in a tournament of this size. Yeah, and he has a favorable draw as the third seed gets a bye in that in that first round before potentially facing uh, Michael Momo or Yibing Wu of China. You know, some winnable matches early on. It's interesting to see him change up his schedule from last year because I remember last year him playing Rotterdam, actually, which was the site of Felix's first career ATP title where he beat Tsitsipas. And Shapovalov lost first round of that tournament and sort of lamented... The court speed and the balls just like never looked particularly comfortable there. And I remember him saying in press afterwards that he might, you know, toy with the schedule change for next year that maybe Rotterdam just doesn't particularly suit his game. And so he's decided that and he'll play Dallas and Delray. So he'll stay in the U.S. for a couple smaller events, the ATP 250s. Then he will uh, head over to Acapulco and, and play the big Mexican 500 event. So shifting up his schedule, you know, I, I fully support if this block last year didn't really do him any favors. Yeah, if you had some bad mojo, why wouldn't you want to try something else as opposed to going back to a place that just has negative connotations and vibes and memories for you? And look, Dennis mm-hmm. had a, a brutal mid-stretch of the season last year. And if I was his coach, I would say, yeah, hey, maybe we try something else and, and mix it up. I mean, some events you got to go to and you want to be there. Indian Wells, Miami, if it didn't work out for you one year, you go back, you try again because the points and the prize money and the opportunity is just so big. You can't turn that down when you're on the cusp of being a top 10, top 15, 20 player like Dennis is. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, why not avoid a place if whether it was the balls or the court speed or, or whatever the case may be, uh, skip that, try something else. There is enough variety on the men's tour that, you know, you don't have to just go one certain path each year. Yeah, well said. And uh, of course, this is a hotbed for the American players, many Americans in the main draw and in qualifying. We should say Gabriel Diallo as well, who we know officially turned pro. Uh, our Canadian just played in Cleveland, actually made the quarterfinals of that challenger and he lost the top seed 
Emilio Gomez actually in a very close three-set match, so he seems to be playing well. He's in qualifying in Dallas as well, so getting that great experience. He's just outside the top 200 of the rankings right now. That's a good opportunity for him. Um, he's a younger player, an older player, a veteran, um, was such a big help to Canada winning in Davis Cup at the tail end of 2022. Vashik Pospisil playing a nice week of tennis at the Challenger event, the Koblenz Open in Germany. He reached the finals before losing to a talented Russian, Roman Safulin. Uh, but Vashik, he's, I believe, number 100 again with this result. And my hope for him, 2023, at this stage of his career, is I hope he's not really playing too many challengers anymore, frankly. We want good things for Vashik Pospisil on this podcast. <laughs> Always. And, and I'm not going to hold back when, when speaking about Vashik. He's just, he's one of the most likable dudes um, that I've ever talked to. He always makes time. Uh, even when we have an interview and the the handler or the comms person on the other end is like, you know, keep it to 10 minutes or keep it to five minutes. He'll go beyond, he'll talk longer and he's happy to get into it. And like gives real answers, like genuinely reflects on the questions dives in so you know we're big fans of Vashik um and he's always been very kind to us on the podcast here so you know want to see good things happen for him uh he's also been such a absolute um you know stalwart for Canada in international play and we know what he's capable of on on that scene and and we've seen in the past good things from him in ATP events as well mm -hmm. so a matter of staying healthy getting the confidence and uh, yeah, I would like to see him take it up to that next level, as you mentioned, and, and have a little bit of success there too. And I think there's still lots of time ahead. He's very young. Early thirties is nothing in this day and age. Uh, he puts in a lot of time. He's in great shape. Um, so we're definitely hoping that yeah, for Vashik, we can continue to see that, that forward momentum. I think honestly, if you look at most of our Canadians, I think they all have the opportunity to make gains in 2023. Yeah, uh, I think you're completely right. I, I mean, maybe for Felix Ogialius, even some aspects is going to be a little more difficult at certain blocks of the schedule. He will return, I assume, in Rotterdam to defend that title from last year. So that will be sort of his first challenge. Uh, but he can certainly make big gains actually at Indian Wells in Miami, where he didn't necessarily produce uh, phenomenal results last season. A couple early exits there. Vashik, by the way, is playing again this week. He's listed in doubles, actually, playing with uh, Nicola Mahou uh, in Montpellier, so he'll still be in action as well. Uh, the big tennis news off the court this past week. Wimbledon finalist Nick Kyrgios pleading guilty to the assault of his ex-girlfriend in an incident from 2021 in Canberra, Australia, where he allegedly pushed her to the pavement. Uh, with this guilty plea, he's avoided a conviction, so it's not going on his criminal record, uh, but he has acknowledged that this incident happened, that he did this. Uh, the magistrate in, in this case referred to it as a one-off and a mistake out of frustration and did not give him a conviction on the charge, but Kyrgios pleading guilty. I suppose my question after this incident is there going to be action from the ATP? Should there be action from the ATP? Or is this a matter that's officially been resolved by the courts? And uh, that's probably the last we'll hear of it. Yeah, it's a good question. Fair question. I'm going to kind of temper my response, just keeping in mind that uh, we are speaking as the Tennis Canada podcast. But um, certainly, I feel personally that he got off pretty easy um, with that uh, result in court when the judge said that I'm dealing with you in the same way I would deal with any young man in this court. I mean, that kind of made me raise an eyebrow. Like, what does that, what does that mean? We're just going to let 
young men off off the hook if if they're found to be abusing their partner or or anyone for that matter. So that was pretty surprising to me. And I did a little digging uh, on the ATP code of contact. And uh, just to get a little bit specific here, section 8.05, article two, uh, C points B and D uh, about being conduct, uh, conduct that's contrary to the integrity of the game. And it does say that a player or related person charged with a violation, not necessarily convicted, um, of a criminal or civil law of any jurisdiction may be deemed by virtue of such charge to have engaged in conduct that's contrary to the integrity of the game of tennis. Uh, and it kind of goes on from there. So the code of conduct says that they have every right to uh, levy some sort of penalty or sanction on him, despite the fact that he wasn't convicted of this. I think the ATP has shown um, a limited willingness in the past to really go out of their way to um, to make a point in a case like this. There have been previous cases, previous players on the ATP tour um, who have been either accused of or found guilty of, of abuse. And uh, it seems to me like the ATP is um, more likely to uh, look, look the other way, perhaps, rather than take a, a harsh stance. But who knows? And I'd be happy to be proved otherwise, because I really think in any sport, your athletes, whether they're part of a team or acting individually, are responsible for their behavior off the court, off the field, off the ice, um, and need to set an example, a proper example for their fans, their young fans, and act in a way that's morally, um, you know, sanctioned, supported, and, uh, and, and positive. And in this case, clearly does not follow up with either of those. And um, I would like to see the ATP take a stance here. I think it's important, especially as we have the male and female players playing side by side so often. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's take a stance that shows that, uh, you know, there's just no tolerance for this type of behavior. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And certainly if you give that clause of the code of conduct, I would probably deem this action, which he has pleaded guilty for, um, as conduct detrimental uh, to the ATP core values. So I, I'd be curious, are they going to intervene? But as you said, um, given past reputation, I'm not necessarily convinced that they will do anything further. Is it a positive maybe that Nick Kyrgios did admit faults and issue an apology after this happened is that a good sign one one thing that i often raise my eyebrow with nick curios and he's a player who's also had that suspended uh probate he was put on probation by the atp for behavior on the court with racket sm smashing and obscenities and how he was handling chair umpires i i find he uses mental health as a crutch. I don't know if you've noticed this and it, it sort of bothers me about him in his apology, referencing how challenging mental health can be. You know, other individuals who have mental health issues don't behave this way. And for me at times, I feel like he uses that as an excuse. That's my personal take. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. And uh, I mean, I've always kind of questioned his sincerity, to be honest with you, before this, you know, we've said many times on the podcast, I, I struggle with his place in the game based on his behavior and antics, just even on the court. So uh, I'm not really sure. I can't read into his mind. I don't doubt that he's dealing with some demons. I don't doubt that there's many players on the professional tour that are dealing with mental health issues, given the nature of the sport, the individual aspect the amount of pressure they carry with them not to mention all the abuse they're subjected to via social media and uh, and people that are constantly trolling them and and putting them down and some really vile things that we've seen written um to players via social media but uh 
I, that certainly doesn't give a pass to uh, uh, for players to act in a way that's going to be violent and abusive to others. So um, we'll see what happens next. Uh, the ATP does already have it in their code of conduct to do something. Uh, let's wait and see what their next move is. Yeah, we'll see what their next move is. I'm not sure what Nick Kyrgios' next move is because, of course, he missed the Australian Open with that injury and I believe elected to undergo surgery. So I don't know when his next tournament is going to be. And we'll see if the ATP takes action. Uh, They have resolved, by the way, their third-party investigation into Alexander Zverev and the allegations of violence from his ex-girlfriend and uh, found that they couldn't uh, deem any evidence uh, worthy of some type of guilty conviction uh, towards Zverev and, uh, you know, using any type of punishment. So Zverev, of course, cleared to play, and he was just playing in Davis Cup qualifiers as well. And no Davis Cup for Canada in the qualifiers. And that's a good thing, that we didn't have to Mm -hmm. be there by virtue of the fact that we won the event in 2022. I still can't believe that. Um, I want to know if you and me are going to get to see that trophy before Canada has to hand it back. Like, where is it being kept? Is it in Montreal? Is it in Toronto? And can we snag a selfie with it? I mean, get in touch with uh, with our uh, our friends at Tennis Canada and yeah. see before before that gets given back. But uh, it's kind of a shame. Just to speak of Davis Cup for a minute before we wrap here, a shame we won't get to see the Canadian team, the winning Canadian team, in action on home soil because they've got a direct entry, direct buy to the finals. Uh, you know, in the fall. So it's just. Uh, it's a shame we don't get to see that team and, and have some sort of celebration on home soil for Canadian tennis fans to recognize their accomplishment. Yeah, I, we do miss that. I will say the one positive to that, though, with not having the qualifiers and the ties is maybe it makes it that more likely that we get the full roster come November, that we do have Felix and Dennis and Vashik back eager to compete again, that they haven't exhausted themselves trying to fit in Davis Cup into their regular schedule through the season. So maybe there's a better chance of getting that full roster back uh, to try and repeat. Yeah, that's fair. And uh, oh, one member of the roster that I do want to point out before we close here is Felix Ojeali-Asim, who's the first player announced for the Labor Cup at the end mm-hmm. of September in Vancouver, British Columbia. He will be a part of John McEnroe's team world and no surprise he played on the squad last year the squad that was there to send off Roger Federer he was one of the guys hoisting Federer up on his shoulders what a moment for Felix to be there for that to see one of his idols off and uh, of course given that the Labor Cup for the first time is going to be played in Canada you have to have at least one Canadian I hope we have Denis Shapovalov there or maybe it's wishful thinking but boy if we could get Milos Raonic back and healthy this year I'm sure they could find a spot for him on Team World as well with that big serve on the indoor courts. Uh, Any way you look at it, uh, tickets are going on sale, uh, I think, any day now. I think maybe even tomorrow, which for us is Monday, February 6th, I believe tickets and packages are going to be priced uh, for Vancouver. So check it out, Canadian tennis fans or those who'd like to come here. I know Ben and I are certainly planning on uh, having a live presence there for the Labour Cup this year. Uh, We can't miss out the first time an event like this comes to our country. Yeah, it'll be an amazing event, September 22nd to 24th. I feel like there's a reasonable chance Roger Federer can make an appearance in the building. We know his ties to this event, which was essentially his baby. Will Rafael Nadal maybe be back there one final time? Novak Djokovic, could you see the big three uh, for Labor Cup one more time? Uh, Even if you don't, uh, it's an incredible event. And the fact that it's coming to Canada uh, should be celebrated there. So that's September 22nd to 24th. We will be back next week with another episode episode of Matchpoint Canada and we thank our guest Bianca Andrescu for her time. We will talk to you next time. <laughs>